Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Thousand Million Questions edition. As my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, joins me to answer questions you submitted via Twitter. We won't really get to a thousand million of them. Those are just some lyrics from a great old Moody Blues song. But we will cover 10 good questions that you sent in, ranging from who is most likely to start on the offensive line to what does Lap know about Anthony Munoz's messed up little finger? Plus, Lap has a few questions for me. That's coming up. And in this week's Fun Facts interview, I will quiz the Bengals' second-round pick in this year's draft, tight end Drew Sample, out of the University of Washington. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since... Scoring a baseball game. As you may know, I used to be a minor league baseball announcer, and I've also been lucky enough to call some big league games for the Reds, Mets, and Blue Jays. When you're broadcasting baseball, you have to keep a running scorebook in order to recap exactly what happened in the game. But in my case, I started scoring baseball games as a little kid while watching on TV. In fact, one of the highlights of my summer every year growing up was keeping score of the Major League All-Star Game. Yes, I was a total goober. In any case, I am currently an assistant coach on my 13-year-old son's baseball team, where my duties include keeping the scorebook. Now let's get to football. I sent out a tweet this week asking Bengals fans if they had any questions for my broadcast partner Dave Lapham. I got a lot of responses and picked out what I thought were 10 good questions. But as we began, Lap asked me if he could get things started. All right, Lap, on this episode of the podcast, we are going to take 10 questions from Twitter followers. But before we get to that, you apparently have a question for me. Well, I do, uh, Dan. First of all, I want to congratulate you on your selection to the UC Hall of Fame. That's a heck of a legacy, well-deserved, going into your 19th year of broadcasting uh, over, over at UC. For, and um, I guess my first question is, I know you wanted to do it, for a long time, you decided early in your life that this is the profession that you wanted to to, to take uh, take your career path down. Who was your first person that you said, I want to be just like him? You know this guy, Lap, Van Miller, yeah. the legendary voice of the Buffalo Bills. So a lot of people listening to this podcast have never heard of Van Miller. He was the voice of the Bills for more than 40 years. I think he was the greatest football radio play-by-play announcer of all time. But if you grew up in the southwest tip of New York State, like I did, when I did, Van Miller was everywhere. So he was the sportscaster on the local CBS station. You'd see him at 6 and 11 o'clock every night. He did the Buffalo Bills games. He did the Buffalo Braves games. That was an NBA franchise in the 1970s that's now the Clippers. McAdoo. Bob McAdoo. (laughs) Two for McAdoo. That's what the PA announcer said at the old odd in Buffalo. Van Miller even hosted a weekly quiz bowl show for high schools. So I watched high school quiz bowl every week just because Van Miller was the host. That's how much he was my hero. So while other kids, you know, worshipped the athletes or other stars in Hollywood or whatever, Van Miller was my guy, so he was really a big reason why I got into the business. So, obviously, you're 
extremely versatile. We always talk about position versatility <laughs> being a big strength for a professional athlete. For a broadcaster, I mean, you do more uh, from a versatility standpoint than anybody that I know. What's the, what's the most difficult of all the sports that you've been involved with from a play-by-play standpoint? What's, what's the most difficult? What's, what's come the easiest to you? Baseball is the most difficult. Basketball is the easiest. Here's why. In baseball, a ground ball to shortstop might take two seconds. And then several minutes go by before there's more significant action other than pitches, uh, but before another ball is put in place. So you really have to be skilled at filling those gaps, whether it's with storytelling, information, whatever. Uh, Various announcers do it different ways. So that's why it's a great challenge, and that's why I think it's the most difficult. Basketball's the easiest to me because there are only 10 guys, so it's a limited number of guys. The game can move fairly fast, but it's not at a breakneck pace and the geography is easy to describe corner foul line top of the key lane center court it's very easy to create that picture for the uh, for the listener to kind of follow the ball so that's why I think basketball is the easiest and then all the young listeners out there that listen to your podcast what's your advice I mean all the all the young guys that want to do what you're doing how do you uh, how do you advise them to get there Biggest advice I can give is to get as much practical experience as possible. You know broadcasting is not taught in a classroom. We both went to Syracuse. It has a very well-known school of public communications, the Newhouse School. But pretty much everything that that I use, I hope my my professors are not listening, (laughs) but the things that, that help me today are the things I learned from doing it on campus radio and campus TV. Uh, learning it from my fellow wannabe sports announcers that have gone on to accomplish great things in the business, just bouncing off ideas off each other and picking each other's work apart, that to me was uh, more advantageous than anything I learned from a professor. So just like in anything, repetition breeds comfort level, right? I mean, if you can call a tiddlywinks match, go do it, right? Just get used to doing it over and over and over again? Get any practical experience you possibly can. So if you are a young student, a high school student, and early in his college career student, and this is something you want to pursue, sign up for the campus radio station or the online equivalent. Do anything you can to practice, even if that means sitting in the stands with a recording device and just broadcasting to yourself to get the reps, because that's the only way to do it. All right, are we ready for Twitter questions? I hope that didn't bore people to tears, but I appreciate it. All right, question number one. Will the Bengals add any additional free agents now that the compensatory draft pick period is over? You know, I I think what Zach Taylor's doing here in terms of building a culture, I think they're going to be very careful about, you know, a guy that's been around the league for double-digit seasons, and people are like, oh, I mean, Indomitian Sue's out there. How can you not add Indomitian Sue? I mean, the guy, if so moved, and that's a big key, if so moved, can do this or that for you. Well, and Dominican Sue has gotten a lot of defensive coordinators over the years fired as well. I mean, he's a difficult guy to deal with uh, at times, and there's always there's always pros and cons to to every situation. So I, I think everything's going to be heavily weighed out. I don't think um, that Zach Taylor is, is going to do anything to jeopardize the culture that he's trying to build. You know, I think with decisions that have been made with respect to Mark Walton, Vontez Perfect, uh, I, I think they they definitely have a an idea and picture in mind of what they want to do from a cultural standpoint. So I'm not sure they want to do anything to tarnish that. Question number two, who's going to start on the offensive line? That's a good question. You know, I think, honestly, 
in, in my philosophy, it's always been the best five players, you know, starting the offensive line. And, and the good news is so many of these guys have position versatility. You know, I do think Billy Price will probably line up at the center position. Um, you know, it's not like he's a KG veteran. I mean, he missed a lot of his rookie season, uh, you know, due to injury, unfortunately, to the foot. But Billy's a very sharp guy, and he's got, he's got a, tr- a very strong skill set. So he's going to be given, uh, you know, every opportunity, I think, to, to hold down that center position. But, you know, after that, if I'm, if I'm an offensive lineman, I'm going into training camp saying that just about every position is open season. It's open game. Nobody, in, in, including Billy. I mean, Billy should not take this mindset or posture that, you know, it's a given. I'm a, I'm a, I've, I've been ordained the starting center. I don't think anybody's been ordained anything at this point in time. And I think uh, Coach Turner is, is going to basically conduct a very, very competitive training camp, and it's going to be best man wins philosophy, and, and the best five guys are going to start. And, you know, it could be anybody lining up anywhere. Um, and, and he'll probably try a few different combinations, particularly early in training camp and early in preseason games. But you don't want to mess with it too long. You, you know, you'd like to have an idea of these are the guys who are going to line up these spots uh, because, you know, you want to get some reps uh, under their belt. Um, offensive line play, that's very critical. I've often said over the years that it's like making a fish. You don't think about wrapping your forefingers and curling your thumb. It just happens. It's involuntary. And when an offensive line's playing that way, that's when you get, you know, you get really good as a group. Um, you don't even have to verbally communicate. You know, it might be a look. It might be, you know, just a body movement. Everybody knows what page everybody else is on. That's down the road. I mean, that's that's after years of experience together. But you do want to get on the same page as quick as you possibly can from a communication standpoint, if nothing else. And, you know, get a feel for, you know, when there's an ET uh, end penetrate tackle twist or tackle penetrate end loop. You have a feel for what, how your partner's going to handle that. You don't want to be passing things off into space. You know, you think one thing and the other guy's doing another. Th- those kind of things are very, very important. And, and the only way you can, um, you can gain trust in each other is to have repetition of that. So uh, versatility is great to have, but you do have to have some work, you know, some repetitions right next to guys on either side of you so you feel comfortable going into, into game battle. But... Um, you know, you'd think Jonah Williams picked where he is, 11th pick in the draft. He's playing somewhere, and he probably deserves to play somewhere, the level of player he is and the technique that he has and everything that goes along with it. But um, it's going to be interesting to see who's going to line up at, uh, at, at both guards and in both tackle positions because, you know, I would, I would right now it's like you go into a new team. You have a new offensive line coach, a new offensive coordinator, a new head coach. You might as well be in another city in terms of, you have to, you have to prove yourself all over again to all those new sets of eyes. What you did in the past doesn't mean a hill of beans. You got a new evaluators now, so it's it's wide open from day one. This isn't a Twitter question. This is a Dan Horde follow-up question. A few years ago, Andre Smith was here, and going into the season or going into camp, the talk was he's going to move to guard. It's a natural move for him at this stage of his career, and he said all the right things until practice started, and then it was obvious he did not want to play guard. What do you think about Cordy Glenn? Based on your interactions with him, do you think he would be cool with a move to guard if that's the way it plays out? I think he's, he's played it more than Andre did, and I think that you know he, his, his quote is very apropos. You know, At guard, you're playing in a phone booth, and when you're in the tackle position, you're, you're out in space, and he feels like he can play in space and in a phone booth. Uh, sometimes, though, even though it's in a phone booth, it happens quickly. I mean, there's quick stuff that goes on. There's a lot, a lot of recognition that has to go on. 
Um, and, and again, a lot of coordination that goes on passing things off to the center and the tackle. You know, at the tackle, you only have to worry one way. Guard, you've got, you've got action on both sides. But you have two guys you have to worry about getting in sync with and knowing how this guy handles this stunt, that guy handles that stunt at the tackle and guard position. So there's a little bit, you know, there's a little bit to it. But athletically and technique-wise, um, you know, the, the toughest place to play, in my opinion, having played all five positions, is left tackle and pass protection and center run blocking when you have a nose guard right over your face mask and you can smell his breath. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> tough when you're, when you're trying to run block and move people off the line of scrimmage there if you have a really good nose guard. So, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's going to be interesting. It really is going to be very interesting to see how it all unfolds. Twitter question number three, will Malik Jefferson contribute this year? You know, you would hope so. Uh, physically, athletically, he's got, he's got what it takes. Um, that's why he was drafted as high as he was. But he had a mental adjustment period to it. Now, um, you know, there's new, a new sheriff in town in terms of uh, his position coach, his coordinator, and his head coach as well. Uh, the good news is that it doesn't matter what the evaluation was on him last year these new sets of eyes have nothing to do with that, but he has to prove himself to this group that he can handle what they're asking of him to be able to handle mentally uh, in terms of their, um, their playbook and, and what they want their linebackers to do. The mantra is keep it simple and play fast. That should fall right into the sweet spot of Malik Jefferson's game. You don't want to confuse him. A, a player like Malik Jefferson, you do not want him sitting there trying to solve an equation before he makes his first step. You want him just being very comfortable and just fly into the football. So um, I think the simpler, the better for Malik and for the entire defensive football team in the early stages for sure. Twitter question number four. What's the biggest positive with the new coaching staff? I think everybody's talking about the energy. You know, it's it's contagious. It's infectious. Um seems like there's a tremendous work ethic. I mean, when you talk to everybody, you talk to the players, uh, they're impressed with the preparation that's already gone on. Uh, you talk to even the, the guys uh, in, in the film room, the, the, the demands that the coaches uh, you know, put on them to put things together for them to, uh, to, to put together their schemes and their, their playbooks for their players. Uh, it's, it's, it's obvious on every level that uh, these guys are all very intelligent football guys, all hard-working football guys, and the uh, the youth is going to just—it's going to be contagious in terms of getting out on the football field, flying around the football field, in the meeting rooms. Just a just a younger vibe, and I think that's the one thing that the players are talking about. Uh, you know, almost to a man, is that it's a different day in terms of the energy, the enthusiasm, and see if that uh, continues to be a big plus all season long. I never thought I would be considerably older than an NFL team's head coach. I mean, I guess that happens eventually to everybody, but it seems too soon. I know it really is. I mean, you have you have so many thirty-something uh, coaches. You know, if you have a, you know, a Mark Duffner, it's refreshing to see a Mark Duffner on the staff uh, working on the defensive th- side of things. We're we're of the same year. Uh, we're just like a month apart or two months apart. Other than that, I mean, it's it's uh, there's there's not much. Not much age on this football team. Bobby McNell, I was just talking to him earlier today. He turns 50 here uh, pretty soon, and he, he feels like he's a graybeard, you know. And a 50-year-old coach, it's almost like you're right in the prime of your career normally in the National Football League, which he is. 
Twitter question number five, and we had a bunch of questions about this particular person. I will kind of distill them into one question. What kind of impact is the coaching change going to have on John Ross and trying to get more productivity out of him? Yeah, I think I think that again is is um, a, you know a fresh set of eyes to evaluate and a new scheme potentially to evaluate. He seems to be very excited about uh, about what Zach Taylor is going to bring to the table in terms of his offensive mindset, his offensive philosophy. Um, he's been very, very vocal in his support of what John Ross can bring to the table uh, with his offense. And the one thing about uh, John Ross I think that, that people don't really understand is uh, he, he's, he's a pretty good blocker as a wide receiver. He will be physical in that, in that area. He doesn't shy away from it. He, he will stick his nose in there, and, and you, I think that will be uh, something that will pay dividends for him in this, in this scheme. Uh, I, I think that's going to be uh, something to, to keep an eye on. And um, He does have continuity in his position coach with Bob McNell, but he, again, new offensive coordinator, new head coach, new sets of eyes there. It is, it is very interesting, though, Dan, when you look at it. I mean, Marvin Lewis uh, made wholesale changes on, on his coaching staff right, right before the final season that he coached. So, I mean, there was, there was a new system defensively, a new system offensively, and here they go again. So in a three-year span, they'll have run three different offenses, three different defenses, uh, three different techniques uh, taught by coaches at a lot of position groups. So that, that's a lot for, for you know a football team to – uh, to, to comprehend and to adjust to, and so I think I think the players are looking forward to this being, you know, the last change for a while. Let's really hone in on this. Let's take it a step at a time. Let's build a foundation and then keep adding floors to it, you know, over time and, and see what we can build this to. Because it, it, I can speak from experience. It, it is tough when you have that much turnover in terms of, you know, your in, in your position room as a coach, the coordinator. And now the head coach, that's, that's a lot of turnover, you know, over a two- or three-year time period for a lot of players. Twitter question number six. Are the Bengals any better at linebacker? I think they are. I think they are better at linebacker. I think Jermaine Pratt um, is, is going to push to start. I think, that, I think, Dan, you know, when you look at it, there's, there's five guys out of the drafted players that will probably push to start this year. wouldn't shock me at all. I mean, they, they drafted players that they've not, not just to make the roster, but they felt can contribute in, in significant sub-packages or some starting roles potentially. Um, so I think Jermaine Pratt is going to push to do that. He's going to definitely be involved in special teams for sure with Darren Simmons, but I think sub-packages and potentially a starter. I could see him lining up as a starting linebacker uh, as the 72nd pick in, the, in this year's draft for sure. And then you look down a little further in the draft, uh, Deshaun Davis out of Auburn, a six-round pick um, that is another guy that will see significant time, I think, in terms of special teams and some form of, of defensive contribution on, on that side of the line of scrimmage. So just with those two players, I think it's going to look a lot different at that linebacker position. Then if others can stay healthy, you know, and, and – get through a season and and have you know another year to build on you get some young players that sometimes you know year one to do year one to year two it is like the light goes on and you didn't know what you didn't know and all of a sudden you start to see it year two to three can be another big jump for players so they've got some players at the linebacker position that fall into that category as well again 
with a new position coach, a new coordinator, a new head coach. You know, that theme is, uh, is consistent all the way up and down the line of scrimmage. Twitter question number seven. Will Joe Mixon rush for 2,000 yards? I assume the person meant this year. <laughs> <laughs> he could, um, but I, I, I'm not sure that I would like to see Joe Mixon. Oh, I shouldn't say that. I'm not saying I don't want to see Joe Mixon rush for 2,000 yards. But I think, I think Giovanni Bernard is, is going to make significant impact on this football team with this offense. I think this offense fits not only Joe Mixon to a T, I think it fits, fits Giovanni Bernard to a T as well. And I would love to see uh, two back sets with both those guys in the football field at the same time, not necessarily in the backfield. But Giovanni Bernard can line up, you know, in the slot. He can do a lot of different things for you. I think position versatility, you know, at that running back position is going to be a big deal. And uh, to get to 2,000 yards, you have to grind, you know, a back with a lot of touches of the football. And Joe, I think, can handle it. But, you know, Joe's not invincible in terms of injury. I mean, nobody can avoid injury. So, you know, it's just a numbers game. The more touches of the football you get, the higher the, uh, the percentage of you suffering some sort of an injury is going to be. So 2,000 yards would be great, but he certainly would have a very productive season if he came uh, up with only 1,400 <laughs> or something of that nature. I'd be happy with as well. And, um, you know, not, not just rushing the football, but, you know, he's capable of, of having some impact catching the ball as well. So I, I think scrimmage yards is, are almost more significant to me than rushing yards with this offense. And I think Giovanni Bernard will have his input in scrimmage yards as well as Joe Mixon. And the rookie running backs as well might get some touches. No doubt. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got guys that are extremely talented. I mean, Rodney Anderson, you know, injury is the only thing that held him back from potentially being a superstar at Oklahoma. I mean, the year that he played healthy, um, he, he had a phenomenal year. He rushed for 18 touchdowns and a ton of yards. So, um, you know, that's, that's pretty significant. Travion Williams, uh, no, Travion rushed for 18 touchdowns right. at, at, at A&M. Uh, Rodney Anderson, I think, rushed for 11 and caught some touchdown passes as well. Travion Williams out of Texas A&M. You know, you have a case where offensive line coach certainly knows him. I mean, Jim knows him as well as he knows any of the offensive linemen that he worked with. And he signed an offensive lineman out of Texas A&M as a free agent and uh, was instrumental, I'm sure, in the drafting of Travion Williams. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of running backs that can c- contribute to the cause for sure. Twitter question number eight. Is nine and seven possible? I think it is possible. Yeah, I do think it is possible. I mean, um, the thing is, getting off to that good start is going to be the challenge. Three out of the first four on the road, four out of six, I think it is, on the road. Uh, and then after the bye week, it's just the reverse. Three out of four at home, four out of six, you know, at home to finish things off. So um, it's, it's great. If you, if you can get to the bye with all of those road games, in um, one of those world games being in London, that, 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 with, a, with a winning record, that sets you up very well on the, for the back half of the season. But if you, uh, if you go there a little bit underwater or treading water, uh, then it puts a lot of emphasis. And it's good to have you know, those games at home on the back end. But, man, um, you know, getting off to that good start, I, I can't think of a tougher road trip than Seattle. That's a tough road trip. I mean, it's northwest corner. It is up there feel like you're flying forever getting to Seattle in the in the continental USA but um and, and then of course playing there they have a good football team it's a tough venue uh, they got a lot of tradition up there that's that's a tough opener 
There's no question about it. But but Zach, you know, un- understands what Seattle's all about. You know, he's got experience there, obviously. Um, and then playing uh, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday Night Football to end that end that month of September. Those are two tough road trips, no doubt about it. But if you can somehow come out of there still in the hunt, I definitely think they could go nine and seven. For what it's worth, the Bengals are one and zero in Seattle in the Lapham Horde era. That's right. That's right. A nice road win for sure. That's a great city to visit, too, isn't it? It sure is. Love that place. All right, question number nine. Were you on the team when Anthony Munoz messed up his little finger? Yeah, Anthony, Anthony, that bad boy was a problem for for a while. And and back then it was like, you know, just tape them together and and just just let it roll, you know, and, you know, get through it. And and then um, it got where, all right, well, if I put surgery off, you know, I, I, I could still have pretty good function out of it. Now it's to the point where, I mean, he has to have a, a, a major, major surgery just to, to get it to function at all. And there's no pain there. So he says to heck with it. And it's, it's a great conversation piece. But that, I mean, there's, there's nothing left in that joint anymore except cartilage. I mean, there's nothing. And, uh, and over time, it just, just has eroded. So, yeah, it, you catch it in shoulder pads or you catch it in a mesh shirt. And, you, you know, you get that little, your pinky's caught, and then they're sprinting up the field on you, and your finger goes where it's not supposed to go. Um, and, you know, I've, I've dislocated my pinky a couple of times and a couple of other fingers as, as well. But, I mean, I can't straighten it out, but it's not like Anthony's word. That is the gnarliest-looking thing that you'd ever want to see. I mean, you know, he, he, can, he can point to people in all directions with that bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> all things considered, your hands are not too gnarly for a guy who spent more than 10 years playing pro football. No, they're not too bad. Not too bad at all. I do have a, a, a broken uh, bone in my hand that uh, it's like there's a divot, and then there's like almost like a little golf ball on the other side of it. And it's, it's hard as You are pounding the back yeah, of your hand. It sounds like you're hitting a wall. Yeah, like ca- it's calcified. and So I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be some arthritis at some point in time that'll – that'll set in but I but I was I was pretty fortunate uh of course we weren't allowed to you know use our hands in the early stages of my career we had to you know make fists cup our hands mm-hmm. and uh and then uh down the stretch though did have a few years where could reach out and grab someone <laughs> all right 10th and final twitter question did you ever see yourself as a coach yeah I thought about that uh you know quite a quite a few times and um Forrest Gregg was uh, interested in seeing if I'd have a, an interest in going up to Green Bay uh, when, when he was up there. And um, over the years, college coaches, when I was doing um, Big 12 games, would, would uh, inquire from time to time about, you know, maybe coaching uh, with, with their respective schools, University of Texas, Oklahoma State. And um, I, that, the recruiting part of that was, I thought, man, that's, that's, that's a big time. Uh, task there you're you're on you're on call 24 7 there recruiting players I if I were going to do it I would have tried it at the NFL level I think and um, I just decided okay either coach or broadcast when I was done playing and for the sake of the family I I honestly wanted to coach I did want to give it a try because I felt like it was always easier to go from player to coach to broadcaster instead of the other way around from a you know player to broadcaster to coach because you've gone to the other side when you go into the broadcast end of it, um, but you know from a family perspective, family wasn't ex- as excited as I was about the coaching possibility, so I decided to stay in Cincinnati and uh, and get into the broadcast end of it and, and let my kids uh, stay in the same city and grow up as Cincinnatians born and raised here and now they're here with their children they're married with children themselves so. 
from a failing perspective, a great decision, I think. I think, uh, you know, it's appreciated by them. But, you know, I still, every once in a while, still think about it. And, and uh, you know, at, at the age I'm at now, though, I'm, I'm just glad to be in the booth with a Hall of Famer like you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, on behalf of Bengals fans and myself, I'm glad you chose broadcasting because uh, obviously you're, you're awesome at what you do, and we appreciate it. Well, I thank you very much, and uh, it's awful easy to work with you. I'm, you're, you're, as, uh, you're a joy. You really are. You make the, you make the game fun, and, and your Hall of Fame shows that you're the best there is, man. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that very much. All right, that concludes 10 Twitter questions with Dave Lapham. Thanks, Lap. The Bengals' two-day rookie minicamp is coming up this weekend, Friday and Saturday, May 10th and 11th. In this week's Fun Facts interview, we get to know the person under the pads with one of the rookies who is expected to play a significant role this year. Time for some fun facts for the Bengals' second-round draft pick in 2019. Tight end Drew Sample out of the University of Washington from Bellevue, Washington. Tell us a little bit about uh, your hometown. Describe Bellevue. Uh, Bellevue's a, definitely a booming city, uh, really nice area, big city, uh, just somewhere I grew up my whole life. So um, met a lot of family. I have a lot of family there, um, a lot of connections there. Met a lot of different people from a lot of different places. So it, it's, it was special growing up there. What did or do your folks do for a living? Uh, so my mom's a VP at Nordstrom, um, and my dad is currently a stay-at-home dad. So he, he looks after my uh, brother and sister right now. We've got a Nordstrom here. Do you get like a 30% employee child discount or something? Uh, I think once once I got married, I think that went away. But I did get a little <laughs> bit of discount for a while. But my mom helps. She helps us out a lot. So, yeah, it's, it's great. She's great. What were some of your interests growing up? Uh, I've always been, I've always been big into sports. Uh, my dad ran track at Cal. My mom played field hockey and uh, softball at, uh, in college too. So I just grew up around sports. I actually, um, I grew up a lot around hockey. I played hockey hmm. for about 10 years. Uh, football, I started, didn't start playing football until I was in high school. So kind of grew up playing hockey. Um, that was kind of super what I was into. And then uh, fell in love with football, started playing that in high school, and then kind of just went from there and it ended up working out pretty well. I'm trying to picture you on skates. That had to be pretty intimidating. Yeah, uh, I wasn't as big as I am now, so I, but I was definitely one of the bigger kids. Uh, but you know, hockey, I still enjoy you know watching hockey, and uh, it was a, it was a really cool sport. So your dad ran college track. You said what was he a sprinter? Was he a distance guy? Yeah, he was a sprinter and a hurdler. So he did he did a little bit of both of that. So that's where, um, yeah, that's where I get a lot of my genetics from. Both my parents, so uh, it's good. We're visiting with Drew Sample. How'd you wind up playing tight end? Uh, so my first football practice, I was playing offensive line. And I think just during a water break, one of the coaches was like, go long. Ran just like straight on like a little baseball field. Caught, he threw me the ball. I caught it. And he's like, all right, you're a tight end. So that was <laughs> that was kind of that. And then played played that all through high school and college and, and got here. So we ended up working out. Very scientific method yes. for winding up at the <laughs> exactly. tight end position. I read a story in one of the Washington area newspapers that you were originally going to go to Boise State. How'd you wind up at Washington instead? Yeah, so, you know, I wasn't very highly recruited uh, out of high school. I played at a school. We ran like the triple option wishbone. We caught like 10 passes or 12 passes my senior year so I was basically a six offensive lineman you know we ran the ball so I had to go to a lot of different camps um, I had a couple of small offers uh, from like D1 AA a couple of smaller D1 schools and so I went to a Boise State camp uh, like full padded camp did like three days there and at the end uh, my dad and I went to Coach Beat's office and they offered me and he kind of went into you know his built for life his vision for me you know outside of football as a man and as a football player 
and I just kind of fell in love with that. That, that kind of just embodied everything that I feel like I'm about, um, and I just really connected with that. So basically committed there, um, was really excited to be a part of that, uh, kind of the underdog mentality there at Boise. I was, I was excited, and then uh, he ended up getting the job at Washington and asked me to come with him, and it was, it was a no-brainer. You know, I live like 15 minutes away, so um, I was really excited to be able to play for, you know, be, be in the program uh, with Coach Pete, and then the other cool thing was I was able to, we were able to kind of start it. I was part of his first class. Um, you know, we hadn't had a ton of success uh, in the last couple of years, and then, you know, we kind of restarted everything and, and got ended up getting, you know, winning two Pac-12 championships, getting the New Year's Six Bowls, so um, you know, I, I feel like it definitely left left better than I found it, so I think that's pretty special. We're talking to tight end Drew Sample, Coach Peed. For those who don't know, is Chris Peterson, the head coach at Washington. I have seen you refer to him as one of the best coaches in any sport. That's high praise. Yeah, I mean, I think he's amazing. Just, you know, not only from a football side, his attention to detail, his willingness to, to learn, to grow, to change, um, but just his you know, he's just so humble. He's such a man of high character. I think that's, I don't want to say it's hard to find, but I think, you know, in college football, he's, he definitely, you know, stands out to me as someone who, who, who I think does it right. And I think, you know, the program is the last couple of years has been reflective of that. So, um, you know, he's definitely someone ever since I met him, I looked up to him and, and I'm really, everything that he has said and, and brought to me just really hit home with me. Your final college game was the Rose Bowl against Ohio State. The end result wasn't what you wanted, but you caught a touchdown pass in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. What a way to finish your college career. Yeah, no, I mean, the game, you know, obviously didn't go how he wanted, but to be able to go out, you know, with the touchdown, um, I guess selfishly was, was pretty cool. But, you know, it was it was special to be able to get to the Rose Bowl, to win another Pac-12 championship, and then, you know, to play on that stage was, was definitely something that I'll remember forever. You got married prior to your senior year of college. Your wife, Angelina, is sitting nearby as we do this interview. Did your teammates used to give you a lot of grief for being the married guy your senior year? Uh, actually, no, because I wasn't the first. So Greg Gaines, uh, our G-tackle, he got married the summer before, and then we had another offensive lineman the year before that get married. So there was it wasn't, it wasn't like the first, so I definitely didn't get uh, probably teased as much as maybe those guys, but you know, they were super supportive, so it was, it was pretty cool. How did you two guys meet? Uh, so we met at, I was a freshman at Washington. Uh, she was a senior in high school. She was visiting UW on a college visit and played football with some of the guys she was with. They kind of introduced us, started talking, dating, went from there, and now we're married, uh, expecting. So it's pretty special. Congratulations. That is awesome. We are doing Fun Facts with Bengals tight end Drew Sample. What was the strangest thing about the draft process for you? Uh, the strangest thing? Just like poked and prodded at the combine? Yeah, stuff like that, that was probably up there Like when we were doing our medical and you there's like a couple guys, a couple like medical guys on each limb and then other guys are trying to talk to you and you kind of just feel like a little puppet. But that was probably the strangest. I didn't get too many um, um, crazy questions, which was good. So, you know, I enjoyed it. It was long, but it was, you know, obviously it was definitely worth it. So, uh, but yeah, that was probably the craziest thing. All right. A few wild card topics. Your favorite athlete in any sport? I really like, I'm a big Tom Brady fan. I think uh, just the type of competitor he is. Um, just what he's been able to do for such a long time. I think that's pretty special. So he's someone I always always look up to and, you know, read stuff about, just his mentality and his mindset and, you know, the type of work he puts in. I think that's something um, that I kind of gravitate towards. So I would say him. You may have not even taken a deep dive into the schedule yet this year, but you will yep. see him here at Paul Brown Stadium. Yeah, no, I saw that. Uh, yeah, I looked at the schedule, you know, last night. And so uh, we played some good teams. So I'm going back to Seattle game one. So it'll be, it'll be fun. I'm excited. 
Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, your first NFL regular season game will be in your hometown. How surreal is that going to be? It's it's going to be pretty special, you know. Uh, you know, obviously growing up there, I know that's a it's a pretty tough place to play. So, um, you know, one of my best friends is tight end for the Seahawks, Will. So, um, definitely a lot of cool aspects to that game, and uh, I'm excited for it. Other than football, what do you do well? I, I feel like I'm a good, I do a lot of things well. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's a, uh, I feel like I'm a, I'm a good husband. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to be a good dad. You guys chose to find out the gender before your daughter was born, right? Was that a, a no-brainer decision? It wasn't at first. I wanted to, for sure. Uh, once we once we kind of got into it, though, we both were like, we, we really want to know. So uh, we had a little gender reveal and stuff, and we're really excited to be having a baby girl. Oh, you did the gender reveal. Yeah. So uh, how did we find out the, the pink? It was, it was like a box, and so we lifted the box up, and my dad rigged this crazy like smoke thing and some balloons so we lifted the box off and there was pink smoke and pink balloons so it was pretty cool i'm old enough that the gender reveal did not exist <laughs> that's exactly what it's, it's crazy all right so i asked you uh, other than football what you are good at how about what you're terrible at <laughs> i'm sure my wife has more answers than i that. should just walk over to <laughs> yeah, angelina exactly. and ask her uh all right for, i for example I'm the world's worst dancer. So if somebody asked me that question, that would be on the top of my list, but I'm not trying to you know, suggest that you can't dance. No, that's pretty spot on. Dancing, singing, I'm not very artistic. That's like that drawing, dancing, singing, any of that. I don't really have much artistic talent in that regard. So I guess that's, that's something I do not do well. I can sing. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not going to uh, prove it to you. All right, you are off the hot seat. Congratulations on being a second-round draft pick. It's an extraordinary achievement, the result of a lot of hard work, and we look forward to seeing you play in Cincinnati. Yeah, thank you. I'm looking forward to getting to work and getting back to it. And that's going to do it for this week's podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. And if you have a minute, please give it a rating or leave a comment. Your feedback's been very helpful, and five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.